0: The scale of the issue of what we're doing to animals is so huge that it's very difficult to even imagine, both in terms of numbers of individuals who are suffering, but also in terms of the intensity of the suffering of individuals. So one thing I've tried to do for many years is try to explain in words the suffering that animals endure in factory farms, and slaughterhouses, just as a result of the standard legal things that we do to them. And so far, I've not been able to come up with a way to describe it, and I don't actually think it's because of a deficiency in language necessarily, I think it's because the intensity to which they often suffer is so great that no matter how accurately you're able to describe it with words, for most people are not able to imagine it. That's one of the reasons why I think it's crucial to actually take a look at images or videos of what happens to animals. It's a very different thing from just hearing about it.
1: What the hell is up, you guys? My name is Jamie Logan, and today I have a very special guest. My dear friend, Ryuji Chua, is joining us. Ryuji Chua is a filmmaker, activist, educator, and he is reaching people by the millions. And he is going to share with us how to be an effective activist, how to communicate this message in a way that's going to reach more people. He's going to talk about individuals, and also he's going to talk about wild animal suffering. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ryuji. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is our second podcast together, you guys. So if you wanted to go back and watch the first episode, it's called Peace by Vegan. I'll link the episode title below where Ryuji talks a little bit about how he got into veganism, how he got into activism, and that really covers the beginnings for you. But in this episode, we're going to talk about what you're up to nowadays. So without further ado, why don't you just give us a little intro and who you are?
0: Sure. So my name is Ryuji. I create educational resources about animal ethics. So I cover a wide range of topics within that topic, including things like factory farming, uh, veganism, wild animal suffering, animals in the climate crisis. Uh, And the aim is really to create content that can help people help animals. Uh, So knowledge and information that can help us make the world a better place for animals.
1: And in one click of a button, your videos can reach millions of people. And most recently, you were just on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, where you talked about your documentary surrounding fish and fish sentience. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So that was a film that I made because I started looking into the evidence for why fish feel pain and that kind of thing. I realized that as animal advocates, we often say things like, uh, studies show that fish feel pain. And when I asked myself, do I know what those studies are? Do I know what the research is? I, I had no idea. So it started as me trying to inform myself to, to better understand the actual evidence that supports the claims that I was making. And as I was doing this research, I thought to myself, it would be so useful if there was a resource that uh, people could easily consume and easily understand all this evidence because it was such a chore for me to understand it. You know, I had to, to comb through literature and read books. Um, and that's fine. I have the time to do that because it's my job. But for everyone else, who's, it's, it's not their job to do that. Uh, It can just take a lot of resources that they may not have. And so I thought it'd be useful to try to condense that. Uh, So that was the idea, was to take some of the most compelling and interesting evidence that suggests that fish feel, think, and suffer like dogs and cats and put it into this resource that people can easily understand and enjoy.
1: And so you made uh, this film where people can watch on YouTube And check out, it's about 40 minutes in length. And it really does break down some of this complicated information into a digestible way for regular folks like me to understand. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: So there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And I I think one of the points that came up over and over again while researching that was uh, the idea that we should, you know, oftentimes in society, the way that we look at fish, uh, it's surprising to people if we say that they think about stuff, they can solve problems, they, they have consciousness, or they feel pain, uh, when in fact we should be surprised if they didn't have these things, particularly for their capacity to feel pain. Uh, so one interesting thought experiment that you can do about uh, an animal's capacity to feel pain is to ask yourself the question, what would happen if they didn't feel pain? And in humans, we actually have an example of this. It's called CIP. It stands for congenital insensitivity to pain. Is this condition that uh, when people have it, they can't feel pain. So they can put their their hand over a fire, they can fall from a high place, break their bones, but they won't actually feel pain. The problem is this will still damage their bodies. And so one researcher who researches this, and by the way, it's a really rare condition. So only like a few hundred people are are thought to have it like on on Earth. Uh, And one of the researchers who researches this says that a lot of his clients, his patients die at very young ages, particularly male patients, because they do reckless things. uh, And even though they don't feel pain, it still damages their bodies. So they end up dying really young. Uh, An example of this is this young boy who lived in a village and he would do uh, the street show where he would show up and he would walk on burning coal and take these knives and stab his arms with with these knives. And people would watch this. And so in the afternoon, he'd go get patched up at the children's hospital. And on his 14th birthday, he decided to impress his friends and he jumped off this roof and he fell and he actually got up. But later that day, he passed away. Uh, And so if you look at this story, it shows that pain or capacity to feel pain Is literally what stops us from accidentally killing ourselves it's really useful to have this feedback from the world if you're an entity who actually moves around and interacts with the world so for example if you're a plant like you're a tree uh, and someone is hitting you it doesn't really help you that much to feel that uh, someone is hitting you that you feel that as suffering because what are you going to do you can't run away but if you're an entity like us like fish like a dog like a deer and someone is hitting you, it's really useful to have that feedback because now you can do something about it. You can fight back, you can run away. And so you see that pain is actually something that gives us this huge evolutionary advantage to survive. Uh, And fish, as it turns out, have been swimming in the ocean for hundreds of millions of years before humans even existed. So the idea that they were able to survive this whole time without the capacity to feel pain in a very complex environment like the ocean is very unbelievable and actually much more unbelievable than the idea that they wouldn't feel pain. Uh, and so this is the same thing with pain, but it's also the same thing with uh, intelligence, where intelligence, again, like the ability to solve problems, to interact with your environment uh, and to, to make decisions is very useful if you're like moving around in a very complex environment like the ocean. Uh, and so the fact that you know thinking that they were able to survive and are still able to survive in this uh, environment without thinking uh, is much more unbelievable than the idea that, well, they're probably not thinking and they're probably moving off just off of their instincts.
1: Well, I think the reason that we place these concepts on fish that they can't feel pain or that they're they're not intelligent is because it's what allows us to do what we do to them. Sure. If we actually thought of fish as as sentient as they are i don't think it would be so easy to take them out of the waters to throw them in ice buckets to let them suffocate on the decks to skin them and cut them up alive sometimes like we would not be able to do that to them if we actually recognized how they're not that much different than us it would
0: be the same as uh, for a lot of farm animals where if we recognize that's different farm animals whether they be fish or cows or chickens or pigs If we learn to see them the way that we already see cats and dogs, or with cats and dogs, we recognize that they're individuals, that they think, that they suffer, that they're actually different. You know, they have different personalities. Uh, You might know different cats, and some cats might be very shy, some might be very outgoing, some might like eating seaweed or blueberries or whatever. Uh, And this is obvious for us with dogs and cats. And the fact that we spend a lot of time with them, or a lot of us spend a lot of time with them, allows us to see them in this way, where if we see them suffer, if we even think about them suffering, it really breaks our hearts and is something that we wouldn't be able to do. Uh, But if we are able to actually learn how to see all these other animals in the same way, um, it would be incredibly helpful to them. And, And to your point, I think it would be much harder for us to... Uh, to, to rationalize in our minds what we're doing to them.
1: And it's almost so much so that when we see a dog or a cat suffering, if we see a even rabbit on the side of the road, or we see one of these animals suffering where we can help, we will do anything and everything we can to go help them. But a deer, for example, if we see roadkill of a deer on the side of the road, it, it it hits us differently than if we saw a dog killed on the side of the road. Yeah. Why do you think that is? And and why should we care about different wild animals, even if it's something that we didn't cause their suffering?
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think with deer, uh, I mean, so, so with deer, like a lot of people still feel a lot of empathy for deer, I think. Probably not as dogs Uh, because dogs and cats are just at the the very top, just underneath humans. But the idea behind, so there's this field or this emerging topic within animal ethics, which is wild animal suffering. And I think this is a very important topic for animal advocates to pay attention to. Now, to get to wild animal suffering, we first have to think about why do we care about animals in the first place? Um, So, you know, we can think about why do we care about a dog or why do we care about a chicken suffering in a factory farm as animal advocates? Uh, And the reason that we care about chickens, for example, or that we as animal advocates say that we should care about chickens is because of that chicken's experience. So regardless of whether you or I or anyone else likes chickens or cares about chickens or looks at a chicken and thinks that their chicken is suffering, if the chicken is suffering, that suffering is real to the chicken and it matters to that chicken. That's why we should help them. If we are suffering, say if I'm suffering, if I'm sick, if I'm injured, uh, and I'm in the street, I I collapse or whatever, uh, then I would want someone to help me. And that's why people should help me. And that's why when others are also suffering, we should help them if we can. Uh, So that's the reason that we care about chickens.
1: Even if there's nothing in it for us, you're saying. Well, so yeah. if you're hurt and you're on the side of the road, let's say I didn't know you and I just saw you, I would want to help you just because I know that your suffering matters to you and that you are experiencing an unpleasant feeling. And that is why I would want to help you. Yeah,
0: exactly. So so the fact that, for example, if you see someone suffering and you don't feel empathy or you don't feel this, this emotional urge to help them, uh, I don't think should excuse you from helping them. Uh, because it doesn't really matter that you don't feel empathy. What matters is that that person is suffering. So if you can help them, then that, then then you should.
1: And you should get evaluated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but to get back to, to, to animals. So with farm animals, uh, for a long time, uh, and this is how I used to frame the issue as well, animal advocates have framed the issue as the, the problem with what we do to farm animals is that we are causing their suffering. Uh, and the thing about us causing their suffering is that that is not the problem But rather, the fact that we are causing their suffering just makes it so there's an easy solution. But really, the fact that we're causing their suffering is not relevant to how much we should care. So for example, if a dog is suffering in your apartment because they're sick, even though you didn't cause their suffering, you should still help them. And I think that it would be very difficult for someone to make the case, for example, they have this sick dog at home, and you're like, did you take them to the vet? And they're like, no. You're like, why? They're like, well, I didn't cause their suffering, so why am I in the position to have to help alleviate their suffering. To that dog, it doesn't matter whether they're suffering because you hit them or because of this virus or, or whatever, Like it, it doesn't matter to them. Uh, and to any individual who's suffering, the cause of their suffering doesn't change their experience. So whether you're a chicken in a factory farm, a dog in this two-bedroom apartment, a deer in a forest, or any other animal in any other situation, if you're suffering, your suffering matters to you, which is why it should matter to us. Now, the thing with wild animals is that we often have this image of nature that's very beautiful. So I grew up watching nature documentaries, many of us did. And nature documentaries often portray nature as this perfect place where everything is in balance uh, and everything is beautiful. And, and perfect is really the, the word that's that comes to mind when I picture about when I think about how uh, I learned how to see nature. But when you look at nature from the perspective of those who are actually living in it, uh, it's often not as beautiful as we make it out to be. In the same way, actually, that you look at the way that farms are often portrayed by the media or by marketing. You go to a supermarket, you buy an egg carton, you look on it, and you see these happy chickens. Uh, you know, you see green pastures and the blue sky and this mm. red barn, uh, and that doesn't represent reality, and it certainly doesn't represent the experience of the actual chickens who are there. Uh, same thing with with nature. So in nature, animals suffer for a, a huge uh, range of different reasons. So, for example, you know, animals in nature get sick, they get injured, they might suffer because of different weather conditions. Uh, some might, might suffer because of predation, because they get eaten alive. Uh, they might suffer because of, of human-caused reasons as well. Hunger. Um, hunger, exactly. Um, you know, old age. Uh, they get old. They can't. They they can't uh, fend for themselves anymore. So they starve to death over a long period of time. And this is just the reality of of how nature is. It doesn't mean it's good or it's bad. Like that's just that's just how the world is. The reason why it's like that is because no one designs nature. Nature came about as as this process of evolution uh, and natural selection. And the thing about natural selection is that it doesn't select for the welfare of individuals. It doesn't select for animals actually living a happy life or being comfortable, uh, it it just selects for better odds of survival and reproduction. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, natural selection doesn't and has never cared about whether or not you or I or any other animal uh, has a good life. Uh, And so as it turns out, many animals actually have pretty bad lives and, and, and suffer at least a lot more than we intuitively tend to think. And that being the case, That is the reason that, uh, you know, I think that we should pay attention to this issue. Uh, And unlike farm animal suffering, so earlier we talked about how in the case of farm animal suffering, uh, we are causing their suffering. So actually solving the problem is, is fairly straightforward in a way. I mean, it's difficult in the sense that it's difficult to technically achieve it. But to think of the solution is quite simple. We just stop we're hurting them we stop hurting them Mm -hmm. with wild animals they're suffering because of these things that are completely outside of our control that we don't understand very well so it's very difficult to actually come up with solutions however despite the fact that uh, we we have made very little progress on the front of finding solutions it's a problem as because it's a problem for the animals who are actually experiencing that suffering
1: what would you say to somebody that says a solution to that wild animal suffering is hunting
0: Again, I think that for any issue relating to doing anything to animals, we should think about it from the animal's perspective. Uh, and so, from the animal's perspective, is it a good solution to be hunted? Uh, no, clearly not. Is it possible that in some scenarios, if you're killed by being hunted as, as opposed to, say, being eaten alive, it would be a be- better death for you? Maybe, but it doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that it's desirable either way. And so, hunting, also the thing with hunting is that Uh, people will often portray hunting as a means to control uh, a species. So the population of a species is getting out of hand. That's why we have to hunt. Uh, And there's a very important distinction to make, which is that caring about a species is a very different thing from caring about the welfare of actual individuals. So a really good example to understand this is to think about our conversations around the climate crisis, for example. So when we talk about the climate crisis, when it comes to humans, we understand that the problem is that the climate crisis is going to cause suffering to actual individuals, whether it's our children in the future or people on the other side of the planet. You know, we understand that the problem with climate change is that if we don't do something about it, now all of a sudden we're going to have grandchildren who are going to have a very hard time actually surviving. Or there's a farmer on the other side of the planet who can't support themselves because of droughts. Or there are people who live near coasts and their, their homes are literally getting flooded. And this is causing these individuals suffering, and we understand that this is the problem. However, when it comes to animals, we don't often talk about it in terms of how it's affecting individuals. So when we think about it as as individuals in society, we often do think about those individuals. So, for example, if I tell you, you know, picture the effect that the climate crisis has on animals, most people would picture something like a polar bear starving uh, on this glacier in the Arctic, or they would picture a koala burning alive in a in, in a bushfire, or they picture something like you know, a, like a turtle with a plastic straw stuck in his nose or something like that. And our urge is we want to help those individuals. We actually want to make sure that the polar bear is not starving, that the koala is not burning alive, and that turtles don't, ha- don't get these straws stuck in their noses. Uh, that being said, when you read headlines and articles or whatever about the climate crisis in animals, the terms that are often used to, to portray the problem is terms like species, biodiversity, and ecosystems. So the way that we talk about it is we say well the problem is that we're we're driving species to extinction and we're we're decim- we we bringing down di- biodiversity, and we're breaking ecosystems and i 'm not saying that these things are not important i 'm just making a distinction and saying that talking about these things are different from talking about the the welfare of individuals saying that uh, you know an ecosystem is intact or that a species is doing well or that there's lots of biodiversity is a different thing from saying that the animals in this ecosystem are having good lives. These are two different things. And and a very easy example to understand the difference between the welfare of individuals and something like species would be to think about chickens. Mm. So chickens, if you look at it from a species point of view, is the most successful conservation effort in history for birds. Um, If you think about it from the species level, uh, they are thriving more than any other bird on the planet, basically. Uh, Every single year we kill about you know, 10 times more uh, chickens than there are humans. Uh, in two years, we kill more chickens than the number of humans who have ever lived. So they're not at risk of going extinct anytime soon. We have all these, these industries who, that make sure that these chickens are thriving as a species. So we have these hatcheries that hatch them. We have these barns that, that feed them and give them shelter. Um, and this is basically all the time, 24 seven. So if you think about chickens and you think about the species level, you see that, yeah, they're doing great, but that's a very different thing from saying that chickens have good lives. In fact, chickens have horrible lives. Uh, They have such bad lives on factory farms that from an individual level, it would probably be more desirable to be extinct rather to live in this situation. Mm. So That's just to show that uh, if a species is doing well, it doesn't mean that the individuals are doing well. Same thing in nature where uh, a species might be doing well doesn't necessarily mean it could mean that the individuals are doing well it could it could also not uh, so it's just very important to to make that distinction and talking about the the climate crisis, I think it's very important that this is how we think about it that we think about we see an event like bushfires in, in Australia, for example, that the problem with this is that it's causing suffering to, to individuals and they matter because their suffering matters to them. So you go back to the koala who's burning alive. And we see that, for example, the headlines and the articles, what do they say? They say something like, it's a tragedy that these koalas burning alive because the koalas are endangered, almost implying that if they weren't endangered, well, it wouldn't matter. And in fact, mm-hmm. it's not even implying that it's really saying it because koalas are not the only animals who live uh, in, in these forests. And neither, it's not just koalas and kangaroos. There are so many other species of animals that I can't name them, you can't name, no one can name them. Uh, but because uh, either for reasons like, you know, they're they're not endangered or for maybe like they're just not cute or we, you know, we don't like them for, for whatever reason, uh, we just don't care about their suffering. And if you look at articles about the bushfire, it never talks about these animals because what they don't. They don't matter to us. But the idea behind the the field of wild animal suffering is that those animals should matter to us because their experience to them is just as real as the experience of a koala or a dog or you or me.
1: And we're talking about wild animal suffering because a lot of what animal agriculture is doing is destroying ecosystems. They're clearing forests, clearing the Amazon, causing forest fires because the climate becomes so dry after they graze the land for the soy to feed the cattle. It's all connected and so we are sometimes responsible for the wild animal suffering and you know sometimes we're not but I feel like we as vegans we are just talking about empathy in general and empathy as a whole and it's the concept of just trying to reduce suffering where we can and when we talk about these billions of chickens that are kept in these factory farms 99% of chickens in the US are factory farmed and when we're looking at these individuals we're looking at these digits and not actually thinking about that each one of those digits represents an individual that had a heartbeat, that had their own thoughts, that had personalities, that desired to live ultimately. And I think if we actually looked at each one of these digits as a soul and as an individual, it would be a lot more challenging to cause harm to them. And we might actually start to panic about how pressing this social issue is. Because if we're looking at social issues in terms of scale, this is the most pressing issue of our time. It's happening to the most amount of individuals on the planet. You know there are a lot of issues from various human rights issues to uh, environmental issues, and now we're looking at this animal rights issue, and that is that seems to be connected to everything. And in terms of suffering, it's by far the worst.
0: The scale of the issue of what we're doing to animals is so huge that it's very difficult to to even imagine. Um, I think both in terms of numbers of individuals who are suffering, but also in terms of uh, the intensity of the suffering of individuals. So one thing I've tried to do for many years is try to explain in words the suffering that animals endure in factory farms, in slaughterhouses, just as a result of the standard legal things that we do to them. Um, and so far, I, I've not been able to come up with a way to to describe it. And I don't actually think it's because of a deficiency in language necessarily, I think it's because the the, the intensity to which they often suffer is, is so great that no matter how well you're able to describe it or how accurately you're able to describe it with words, you're not able to, or most people are not able to imagine it, that there's such a huge gap between uh, what we grew up thinking farms look like and what they actually look like for most animals, that uh, when we are actually told in words, Oh, this is what happens to animals. We're not able to actually picture it and and really empathize with that mm-hmm. experience. That's one of the reasons why I think it's it's crucial for um, for for everyone really to take a moment to actually take a look at images or videos of what actually happens to to animals. It's a very different thing from just hearing about it or just reading about it. Um, I remember when I first started learning about this, I I, I read all these these articles and these reports and like whatever about what happens to animals and and the standard things that we would do to them the legal the standard legal practices all this kind of stuff and it seemed horrible but it wasn't actually until i sat down to watch what happens to animals that i was like oh okay i like now i get it mm. um because no matter how much i would read about it, it 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 would never match um the 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 intensity of suffering that uh, you you can actually at least try to empathize with if you see it more firsthand.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think our brains do this to protect us. Our brains don't want us to actually see all of this suffering. And that's why you see a lot of people that are like, I just can't watch that. I can't look at it. I can't do it. And it's because we know that if we actually watched it, it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt. And for me, I think, that's what made the, the most of the difference was I allowed myself to go through that, to feel that pain, to recognize that all the years that I was consuming these products and paying for these products that I was wrong. And I allowed myself to do that. And it was a painful process. But I also recognized that we have to put aside our own discomfort for the animals. Nothing compares to what they're going through. You might be watching this Three-minute clip, or let's say you're watching a documentary like Earthlings or Dominions, that's just a little portion of your life and of time that you're sitting and actually watching this. This is representative of an an animal's entire existence, entire life. It's like have some decency, sit down and watch it.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's it's like it's it's obviously important for people also to take care of themselves. Obviously, like this, we're not saying like go destroy yourself, but however, um, people will often shy away from. Confronting evidence that might suggest that they're wrong about something or that they might be causing harm um, However, I think that it would just be helpful uh, Or I, in general, I find it more helpful to have this mindset where you confront the things that you're wrong about uh, Because that's how you make things better uh, You know the goal of or one of the goals of, of going through life shouldn't be to to be comfortable and to feel okay with how things are but to make things better Making things better is always better than the alternative, which is not making things better. Uh, and so if we have the opportunity to, to confront some information or some evidence that suggests we are wrong about something, uh, or or even more urgently that, that suggests that we might be causing a huge amount of suffering that we previously didn't know about, um, then I think that we should embrace these kinds of opportunities. Um, because that like that is how we make things better. that is how progress happens. progress happens by confronting those things that are those difficult truths. Uh, you know the, the problem with, with difficult truths is that they don't disappear if you look away. they still happen. So with animals, whether or not we choose to confront their suffering, they're still suffering. It doesn't just not happen because we choose to look away and choose to not confront it. Um, and my my question, is always if you have the opportunity to 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 absorb information or look at something uh, and it will help you make the world a better place, then why wouldn't you want to do that?
1: Absolutely. I think that that's so beautifully said. And yeah, just to clarify, I'm not saying to, you know, torture yourself over this, but I am saying that especially if you are eating animals and their secretions and you are contributing to this problem, you should watch where your food is coming from and you should understand the implications of those actions for sure. And if you're vegan and you've seen this footage, thank you. Thank you so much for watching that because I think that you know you are making an effort to make the world a better place. But now take that that footage and and use it to motivate you to get active and to speak up on these issues. If we go back to our previous episode, which we podcasted in the beginning, Ryuji Mm -hmm. talks a lot about how he got into activism and also how he's evolved as an activist and educator. And so why don't we just talk a little bit about effective tactics for activism and what you're up to nowadays? Sure.
0: Uh, So, first of all, there are many different forms of activism from education to political campaigns to pressure campaigns on, on specific companies. Um, So there's all sorts of things, you know, direct action. There's all sorts of things that we can individually do to, uh, well, help the world and and help animals in this specific case. For each person, I think it's crucial that you become aware of the different ways in which you can help animals and then find something that's a good personal fit for you. So when I first wanted to help animals, I actually remember asking myself, "What, what is the most effective thing I could do? To help animals out of all these different choices what is the thing that's going to move the needle the most and how can i do that and i would i would go around these 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 animal advocacy conferences uh and these people who've been in the movement for far longer than i have and i would ask them this question like, like what should i do like how do i be effective uh and one thing that they told me that i wish i'd taken to heart more like, like sooner is the importance of a good personal fit. So personal fit just means that whatever you choose to do, it has to be something that uh, you enjoy to a certain degree, but uh, maybe more importantly, that you can actually do well. Um, so if there if there are two choices, you can be a community organizer, or say like me, you do something related to education, which one are you gonna be able to do better? For me, I know that uh, with community organizing, I would do that at probably a two out of 10. I, I can't even organize a dinner with my friends, so I'm, I'm hopeless. Uh, but with education, I, I'm obsessed with trying to figure out how to explain things in a clear and engaging way. It's what I spend all my time just thinking about. Uh, and, and so for me, that's a much better personal fit. So th- that's the first thing that I think is important to address for, for anyone looking to get involved and, and help animals. Try to find something that's a good personal fit for you. Now one thing I can talk about more in depth is uh, education specifically. Uh, because that's what I do. If you ask me how to do an effective open rescue, I have no idea. Because uh, I, I have some idea, but I, really I have no idea. Uh, but in terms of education, um, over the past few years, I've learned a lot about how we can, um, a- at least to my understanding, be more effective um, as advocates. So uh, a couple things that has really shifted the way that I advocate for animals is the first thing is thinking about this word interesting. So as advocates and activists, we often want to th- talk about things because we find them important. Uh, that, that's why we become activists in the first place. We, we find this issue in the world that we connect to for whatever reason. And we're like, this is an incredibly important thing. You, you, know, you expressed the sentiment earlier that we find this thing so urgent and important that we want to do something about it and we want to solve it. The problem is, as an educator when you, especially when you do a larger scale education, say content on social media, or you're a speaker or, or something along those lines, or you do a podcast, people listen to things, not because they're important, but because they're interesting. I mean, there's probably some minority of people who, who are like, yes, I, I will keep up to date with important things. But for the vast majority of us uh, is just, is it interesting? So it's crucial for us as advocates to think about two things. One, what are the, the entryways into this cause that we care about that are generally interesting to people? And second of all, whatever we want to talk about, we have to ask ourselves the question, well, how do we make this interesting? And this word interesting can mean different things. But essentially, the way that uh, is, it's useful to think about is to think about first, who are the people you're trying to reach? Because you can't reach everyone. If you try to please everyone, you're, you're going to please no one and, and you're going to do nothing. So you want to pick this demographic of people. So for example, for me, I, I assume good faith on, on the part of the people who are listening to me. Um, so I've noticed that there, you know, we have some colleagues who create contents and their tone is very much, is, is quite adversarial because it's almost like whether it's consciously or, or subconsciously, they assume that the people they're talking to are gonna be on the complete opposite spectrum. They're the hardcore meat eaters who hate vegans, right? And that's who they're talking to, and that's why, and it comes off in their tone. However, for me, uh, I go the complete opposite where I choose to talk to people who are already open-minded, who want to make the world a better place. And I assume that they're going to take what I say with with good faith. Uh, and so that changes the way that I express myself. But in any case, the question so I, that I ask myself is, given that these are the people I want to reach, how do I make what I want to say interesting to them? Um, and interesting in in, in in a lot of situations simply means uh, another word for it that you can use is the word relevance. So how is this relevant to you as a person? Um, you know, so for example, um, the reason that a lot of what we're talking about might be relevant to someone listening right now is because they have the des- this desire to help animals, right? You're listening to this, you want to make the world a better place for animals. And you're like, this might actually help me make the, the, the world a better place for animals. So hopefully, uh, or maybe some of the things we talked about, like this, you know, this perspective of, of caring about animals as individuals in all contexts, even if it's like the effects of the climate crisis, or, or thinking more about the suffering of wild animals or, or, or like whatever. Um, hopefully, this is all stuff that is relevant to you and you find it interesting because now you can take it into account in fulfilling your personal goal of of wanting to help animals. Um, So this is a very key thing to to think about because I used to only think about, well, what's important? What what, what, what do I want to say? But that's very selfish. And as an educator, uh, you're not here to be selfish. You're here here to be selfless, to to help other people understand the world better uh, and to think more rationally about the world. Uh, and so that being the case, um, it's first very important that we think about, you know, how, how do we make what we're saying interesting?
1: I think that is such a great point. And I kind of want to break down yep. how exactly what you said is what I did mm. when I started this yep. podcast and when I started my activism. So back in 2018, I went vegan. I was disturbed by the footage that I saw. I knew I wanted to speak up and do something about it, but I didn't know how. And so at first, I started going to Anonymous for the Voiceless Cubes, which are basically places where we just hold TV screens that show standard practices of the animal agriculture yep footage. We have conversations with passerbyers. And this kind of just got me comfortable speaking up on the issue and just understanding how to communicate some of these complex topics to others. And also along with that, I watched Earthling Ed's videos, Humane Hancock. I even watched some of your outreach videos and really understood how to answer some of these questions about protein or about the deserted island, you know, the questions and excuses that you get from, from the public. So after that, I started getting into disruptions and going to different demos, and I found myself in a really angry state. I think there's a state of veganism that oftentimes we... we... The
0: five stages of veganism.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. You feel hopeless, and then you're angry, and then you're just confused and lost, and then hopefully you get back into it and you want to problem solve. But I found myself super angry, and that wasn't me, that wasn't who I was, and Mm. that wasn't who I could sustain in the long run. So fast forward a few years later, I was working for a film company. I studied journalism, media, and film in school. And so I had this background in editing and also filmmaking. And my boss at the time, Jordan from Cave Light, filmed one of my outreach conversations at one of these cubes. And we were watching the footage over and we're going, there's something interesting here Mm -hmm. there's something different here and i think honestly it's just because i'm a wackadoodle and i think it's just i was kind of making fun of myself in the process while getting the message out there and so then i realized oh my god this is something that i can sustain and something i enjoy doing and something that is getting the message out there in my own unique way as opposed to trying to be somebody that i'm not
0: that's actually a really important point that you make because what I found a lot of people do when they get into, you know, this is a very small corner of the world, right? But let's talk about this very small corner of the world, which is like animal advocacy. And, And what I found is that people who generally get into educational animal advocacy, what they do is they'll look at the established figures who are already doing the same thing. And they'll take their phrasing, their messaging, their arguments, and then just repeat them. Uh, and and it's almost like they treat the the words of these these public figures who are already established as as gospel, like what they're saying is, is basically like the words in the Bible or something like that and that that can be good to to like get started because you start learning things um but ultimately, I think that it's important that at some point uh we take a step back and first of all really understand and evaluate. Uh, these things that they're saying, uh, because they're, they're not right about everything. S- sometimes there are some arguments that, that have circulated around our circles that I, at least I personally don't find to be good arguments. Uh, and that's normal. Everyone makes mistakes. I make mistakes, you make mistakes. Like I, I for sure said stuff that's wrong in the past. So it's, it's not knocking anyone, but it's just to say that we have to be critical of what they're saying. And then uh, I, I think it would be very helpful if we all introspected and think about, like, how do I actually think about this issue? And we try to express it in a way that's authentic to us, mm-hmm. uh, because that's how we can reach uh, like a larger number of people. So a lot of my messaging has strayed quite a bit from the messaging, from the traditional like, animal rights messaging. Well, in, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. It, it might be like not noticeable to um, like people who are, if you're just like recreationally, like listening to it or whatever. Um, but to me, there was a point where I specifically sat down and I was like, first of all, let, let me just understand this topic a lot better than I did before. Let me not just take uh, the words of other advocates, but let me do stuff like, you know, look at the evidence, like all, all these advocates, they're saying, well, fish feel pain. Uh, studies show that, you know, that's, that's the case. And I realized that, well, I'm repeating this. But I don't actually know. So I have to learn all this, learn to understand uh, the philosophy. The way that I think about it is that I want to be very philosophically and scientifically rigorous. Um, and that's something that you can only do for yourself. Because as educators, when when I speak, when, when someone else speaks, we're, we're only going to give you the cliff notes. Uh, so you're not going to be able to, to get the depth of understanding just from listening to what we have to say. That's something you have to cultivate for yourself. And then it's just important to translate what you learn and to, to express it in a way that's authentic to you. And you might have some, some new ideas that, that come out of that. So for example, one thing that I've personally always felt that, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, in our in our community relate to this, but I haven't heard it said publicly that much, is the idea that when when some people think about becoming vegan they think about it as this thing that they're going to hate they're like this is a disruption on who i am it's like an attack on on, on them as a person uh, it's like this is not just who i am like i i eat burgers i eat pizzas like th- like this is just me so going vegan would completely change who i am however in the way that i've experienced it and in the way that i think many of us experience it it's an experience that that feels like we are actually returning to a more authentic version of ourselves why because It's what aligns most closely with our core values. So you think about how you are as a kid. For me, I was the kind of kid who I I loved animals. Uh, I would be fascinated by them. I'd always want to spend time with them. Uh, I want to learn more about them. Uh, You know, I had these dreams of of becoming a zookeeper and this dolphin trainer and this National Geographic photographer. Um, Now, of course, I'm completely against zoos and and training dolphins and whatever. Uh, But the point is, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be a vet, all that. Um, and so actually being vegan, although I did spend my whole life eating meat and, and dairy and eggs, I, I come from France. so you know we had the best cheese in the world. I, I, I ate eggs for breakfast every single day, uh, meat for lunch and dinner pretty much like actually every day of my life pretty much. I even made fun of vegetarians. Uh, so on one layer, I would have thought that well if I give all this up, I'm basically completely changing who I am. But on a deeper level, on a values level, it's it's aligned so much closer to to who i see myself to be because i always thought like i'm a compassionate guy like i want to make things better I, like i don't want animals to suffer um and my entire life i would have seen a dog suffer it would have it would have broken my heart and i would have wanted to help that dog um but then the question is well if i would help a dog who's suffering why wouldn't i help any other animal mm-hmm. suffering and when i allowed myself to to almost admit to myself yeah this is this is who i am like I like I just I just care. I just you know, I, I want to make things better. I want to make the world a better place for animals. Um, and actually translated that into in, into a lifestyle change of becoming vegan. Now, I feel a lot more aligned with with who I find myself to be. Um, the, the point is that this is the kind of thing that I, I didn't hear like a lot of people really talk about before. Um, but when I think about my my own kind of story, my own journey, uh, it's it's a huge part of of what happens in my own head, in my own mind. Um, and so I'm sure that for, for anyone listening or for you, uh, you know, like we all have things that are like that, that this is just how we think about the world. These are just thoughts that we have, feelings that we have. And I think it would be just very useful for us to introspect, to to find what those things are, and then express them and share them with the world, because I'm sure a lot of people will relate.
1: And express them in a way that's your own voice. And one example of you doing that, we were just talking about this this morning, is you were looking at the numbers of how many animals have been killed. And this is information that had circled around the vegan community saying, oh, yeah. it's 80 billion. Oh, it's 69 billion. Oh, it's 150 billion. How many animals is it? Like, it's th- th- there's so many different numbers. So you took it upon yourself and you actually did the math. So talk a little bit about how you found those numbers and what yeah, you found so, out.
0: So Uh, there are all these numbers floating around. Like for years, these numbers have been floating around, you know, like 56 billion, 60 billion, 70 billion. Uh, How how many animals do we kill as a planet every single year? Or like, uh, let's put qualifiers to that. So like how many land animals do we kill for food? So primarily meat, dairy, and eggs. Um, like how many do we kill every year on, on this planet? Uh, no one really knows because the planet is so huge. There's so many things happening that it's very difficult to track this. The, the organization that tracks this is the FAO. So it's a UN organization that, that the goal is basically to end world hunger. And so they track like, all sorts of stuff. And they have this webpage where you can look up their database on, how, on like their estimates of how many animals are killed for, uh, for, for meats, dairy, eggs, and all sorts of other stuff. And so when you see these estimates floating around uh, the animal advocacy community, that, that's pretty much where they come from every single time. You can always trace it back basically to this FAO database. And now a lot of the numbers that have been thrown around for years are, are quite outdated. And so what, like, what I've been doing like every year for the past like three years is I will go on this website and then basically look, because what you do is you, you, you select these parameters Right. So, and, and you, you can search FAO stats, S T S-T-A-T, A T and, and just like find it. So I encourage like everyone to just take a look at this for yourself, but basically you can, you select uh, like, what do you want to see? You see, you say like you want uh data for uh, like whatever region so you can do a specific country like france or japan or whole world so you click world uh you can be like uh okay i want the number in animals slaughtered so the number of animals who are slaughtered for what products for meat uh, for milk and eggs just give me the total or you can even like have a list so it gives you a breakdown of like these are all the different animals who are, who are used for meat and then you click uh, show results and it shows you this huge table with with a bunch of numbers so, so that's basically where the numbers come from Recently, or I don't know how recently, but because they're always like one or two years uh, behind. It's, it's a massive project to put these numbers together. Um, the new numbers for 2021 have, have come out. And in 2021, if you look at the total of animals who are killed for milk, for eggs, and for meat, uh, according to this database, the total is something around 92 billion, uh, which is over 10 times the human global population. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's I mean, we've already touched upon this, but it's it's a massive massive number,
1: and it's only going up. I mean, why is that if we feel that our videos and and the vegan movement is growing, our videos get are getting out there wh- why or how is this number going up what What do we do?
0: Um, yeah, so I mean that's a good question I, I think it's important to recognize that in terms of of um like our movements we we're still like a, a very, very small movement. And for example, the pace at which we are getting people to make different lifestyle choices or care about animals is for sure outpaced by the number of humans who are born. Um, so in that sense, like we're, like we're not quite keeping up. Like I think it's it's important to put into perspective that you know the the world is is massive, and if we had to take uh, all of us and and put us in an army. And then you put everyone else in an army who is basically either actually against us or indifferent to the issue. Uh, they would eclipse us. It, it would kind of be like you know uh, like a thousand lions try to go against the sun or something like that. Uh, like that. That is the the difference in in scale of of our of our you know of our resources, like so so to speak. Uh, so it, it's not to say that what we're doing is useless, but it's is to say that you know we we have to recognize that that the world is just massive, and so like. Even though we are we are trying our best, it doesn't mean that we're actually going to have an effect. In fact, like uh, you know, we, we often like to portray things like new new like plant-based products in the supermarkets as these big wins for us, uh, and, and it's great to celebrate those things. I, I like those things too. Uh, however, it's very important to stay grounded and to look at these things, like these numbers, for example, to recognize like, hey, you know, we're doing a lot of great work, that's for sure. But if you look at the reality for animals, it's not necessarily getting better. Now, this might not mean that what we're doing is, is not working. Uh, it might just mean that imagine like you and me and, and all of us who are fighting for animals, we disappear from the planets, maybe the number wouldn't be 92 billion, it would be 105, you know, who knows. So it's not to say that we we don't have an effect. But yeah, it, it just goes to show that the, the scale of the issue is is, is really massive. And, um, you know, what What do we do about it? Well, you know, we're, we're trying a lot of different things. What's going to work? We're, we're not quite sure. But uh, one thing's for sure is that well, we have to keep trying.
1: And I think when you look at in terms of many different social justice issues at the time when you're immersed in this activism, it's you're not always liked. And it's really hard to sometimes see the bigger picture but you have to set those achievable goals and whether that's seeing you know some of these numbers decrease or whether that's seeing a designer drop fur you know we have to set these achievable goals because that's what gives us hope yeah and that is what keeps us fighting because we we see the impact that we're having now whether we see the end to animal agriculture in our lifetime or in you know 500 to 1,000 years from now when we're long gone, it is going to happen because the planet just can't sustain the current system anymore. And we're seeing new plant-based innovation and technologies like cultured meat and also just delicious Plant-based products like Beyond Meat, Impossible Meat, that give you that same taste satisfaction, that fill you up. That these are now big players in our supermarkets. You really can't go into a supermarket anymore—at least national big ones like a Walmart or you know even Target has these products. Um, and you can't go into these supermarkets anymore and not find at least one vegan option. You're always going to find you know rice, beans, and hopefully a few veggies. You know. So uh, we we are seeing a, a difference, but it just feels so so slow. <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're
0: definitely seeing a difference, and the the world has definitely changed. Even just like the past few years, uh, where I mean, it, it's been shocking to like even me, like going to some places where you just wouldn't expect um, there to be options, like you know, like plant based options, um, and th- they're much more prevalent. Um, so from from many different fronts, from a a food tech perspective. From a culture perspective, um, I, I think there are many different fronts on which we are making progress. Or for, from even from a legal perspective, where fur is getting outlawed in many places uh, and stuff like that, we we are definitely um, making progress. And I think it's important that we we stay optimistic in the sense that you know mm-hmm. we we all, like allow ourselves to like look at our victories and see what is going well. So that we can keep doing this. Because otherwise, I I think that's one of the reasons that's, you know, one of the things that I think will give your advocacy longevity is to actually see or to feel the difference that you're making. I think it's very difficult to keep doing something day in and day out and feel like you're not doing anything. Um, And I've known many people who have started um, Animal Advocacy around the same time as me who have since kind of like dropped out. Mm. And you know, that that's fine. Like, like live your life. Like it's not, you know, you can do whatever you want. Um, but I think that one of the reasons why so many people drop out is because they do things and they don't actually feel like what they're doing is making a difference. And to me, like I can completely see how, if you, yeah, if you feel like you're not making a difference, then like, why would you work so hard and, and put yourself through all, all this trauma and these difficult situations that are, are mentally taxing and sometimes physically taxing? Um, and what I've seen is that all the people who have longevity, who stay uh, in 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 the movement for a long time, uh, are people who are actually able to to look at their work and and honestly see, yeah, I think that what I did um, like like made a difference. Um, so so going back to what we said earlier, that's one of the reasons why finding something like personal fit is is so important. Uh, Because if you find something that you're a good fit for because you like it and you're able to do it well, then most likely it's actually going to make a difference. And so you're actually going to see that and be able to, to sustain what you're doing for a long period of time.
1: I really love the quote and the idea that animal rescuers, for example, let's just say you rescue one animal in your entire life. For that one animal, you made a world of a difference. Yeah. You know, we might not be able to save all of them, but for that one animal, you change their life. And so even if it's the little things that you're able to do, as Ryuji said, finding that personal fit, you could go into fostering animals. You can go into rescues. You can go into legislation, public speaking, social media. There's some really fun TikTok trends that, you know, you could dance around on the screen to music and Talk about animal rights. I mean, there's so many different routes and outlets to take, and I think every single decision that you make and every single action that you take is effective and and reaches someone. Know that your voice is more powerful than you think it is. You
0: yeah, know, absolutely. I think I think it's very important to, to to remember that that at the end of the day, this is why we do this is that. Um, you know, be behind all these, all these numbers and, and this philosophy and there's this and that, that they're actually individuals, like these actual individual animals who, who their lives matter to them. And that's why it should matter to us. Um, and so anytime we're able to help animals, even if it's in like a, a small way, uh, like, you know, you, you go to like a shelter, you volunteer to a shelter and you, you help care for, for cats to those cats like that. That just makes a big difference. And so, yeah, if, if, you know, for anyone who wants to help animals, I think it's, yeah, just important to to remember that. Like, that's why we do it. Any little way that we can help, it makes a big difference for those individuals that we're helping.
1: And so in the last 10 minutes that we have, I want to talk a little bit about dating and just your life, what the hell you're doing here in New York, what it's like being my roommate for the month. (laughs) Did you spit
0: out your water? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that, i didn't inhale be a good, it
0: yet i didn't drink it yet that can't uh-huh. be a good sign
1: you guys <laughs> just to give you guys a little context i'm staying in brooklyn watching my friend's cats for the month and i called ryuji up a few weeks ago and i was like do you want to come to new york for a month like i have an extra bedroom here and he was like yeah i'll i'll see you on the first or whatever and i was like okay and he actually came <laughs> <laughs> and so what have you been up to and what have you been doing here? I mean not much, but
0: my life is really not exciting in the sense that uh, I, I have a very simple life. I, I, my, my whole kind of like philosophy on how I try to set up my life is I try to have like you know one or two projects going on at a time and I, I basically work on them all day and, and that's basically my entire life. So I, I feel like I mean I like I'm I'm not sure. Like you know, we've been living together. I'm like I, I, I get up, I feel like I get to work and then I, I go to bed at some point. Like,
1: when and he talks food. about a simple life, what? this guy has three shirts, okay? He owns three shirts and they all look the exact same.
0: But they don't just look the same. They're actually the same model shirts. Okay, there go. So
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have like eight of them. Well no, it, What's it, up? It, it, <laughs>
1: And not only that, but I know his every single meal by and what time he eats them. So what we're talking, he starts the day off with a smoothie. He has his pasta with the Trader Joe's vegan sausage. And then you might do like a samosa, like a vegetable samosa or or some type of like tofu protein Um, thing for dinner.
0: Yeah, no, I'm just very like I'm just there's a lot of things about um, the way that I live my life that I'm just I'm just not very picky about. Like, uh, like my clothes, like, I'm just like, I I wear the same clothes every day. So, um, if you, if you see me at an event, I'm, I'm probably going to be dressed exactly the way I'm dressed right now. Uh, if you see me in my, in my day-to-day life, I'm, I'm always going to be wearing the the same pants with like the same shirts, with the same hoodie, like the same shoes. Like it's, it's always, it's always the same thing. Uh, Similarly, when I, when I stay on my own, uh, I'm I'm pretty much going to, you know, eat, like eat the same thing every day. Like I'm, I'm very happy to have the same breakfast every day, the same lunch every day. I don't know. That's just that's just how I am.
1: I feel like it's good to get in routines. And if that works for you, I think that that's great. I'm, on the other hand, very all over the place. I actually want to get to a place where I'm eating, you know, more consistently of like a smoothie, a salad, this and that, more greens. And I want to get to a place where I minimize. Yeah. And I think a minimal way of life is, number one, so much easier because you don't have to like pick and choose what you're going to wear. You feel more organized. You declutter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we we now live like in an age of distractions, where where everything is trying to take our focus away from, um, or well, f- from everything really. Uh, you know, you, you look at the evolution of how content is consumed on the internet, and now it's all short form content. Um, and it's like every fifteen seconds, every minute, you you get a new piece of content, and it's very difficult to actually to to focus on things. And so for me, I, I like to have these different things where I can actually. Um, like that's why, like I, I work, I try to work on like one project at a time. Cause I'm like, I, like now I can focus on it or, or, or another thing that's very important to me is something like fitness, for example, where I'm like, you know, with, with fitness, I, it's, it's like my time where I have like these certain goals that I want to reach and I, I work towards them and like, that's it. And like, I'm just very focused. I, I think that's a really important skill to have, uh, actually, because focus, uh, is what enables us to think critically about the world and to understand actually what's, what's going on. And to come up with solutions to, to make things better. If you are in a state of mind where every 15, 20, 30 seconds, you need like this new thing to stimulate you, uh, or you, you can't, you know, it, it's very hard for you to like sit down and, and read a book or, or a long article, um, we're, we're gonna be in a very tough place because it's gonna be very difficult for us to actually, like, the world is a very complicated place. And so to understand it requires this, like, concerted th- this effort uh, that, where we need to focus. And so, yeah, I, I just think that. I mean, maybe, that, maybe that's one of the reasons where you know I, I try to like not have a lot of different clothes and like eat the same meals because I'm like these these things are just decisions that I don't want to make. I, like I don't want to to be in the morning asking myself what I'm going to wear today. I want to ask myself like more more productive questions like you know how do, how do I write this part of my script or you know whatever I'm working on. And, and so to me, like, I don't know, I just find it very helpful to remove distractions. Like my, my phone generally has no notification. So I like that's why I, I never answer people like mm-hmm. I, so my, my phone never rings. Um, but but it's because otherwise I'm like, I, I don't know how to protect my, my focus otherwise.
1: That is such a great piece of advice. And I definitely need to take that because It's like as soon as my phone pings or goes off, I look at it and then immediately I'm taken away from whatever project I'm working on or whatever script I'm writing. And I think it's a great idea to try time batching and be like, okay, for this hour, I am going to be focused on this project and I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to get distracted by whatever's on the news and I'm just going to focus. And I think that you'll be pretty impressed with what you come up with the first time that i actually just like sat down and did this i wrote my speech for national animal rights day <laughs> so that was i was very happy with that yeah. and and how that came out and um I think also we're in a time with AI technology and and where we can go to chat GBT and be like, hey, write me a blog post on uh on you know this animal rights topic, or write me a blog blog post on this, or come up with a picture design even, which is super crazy and weird. How AI is now designing thumbnails and whatnot for yeah. us, uh, it's almost coming to a point where technology can get so good that. I'm worried people are not going to believe that the real images we show them of animal agriculture is going to be true.
0: Yeah. So just one last quick point um, about this topic. So I think that in this new age of artificial intelligence, actually, our work as animal advocates is probably going to be very important. And the reason why is because – like. You know the way that artificial intelligence works is very complicated. I'm definitely not an expert on it. However, the thing is that it it ta- it has to get its inputs from somewhere, and the inputs are things that they get from humans whether it's you know it's it's generally just vast amounts of information from the internet or or something along those lines um now for pretty much all of human history, humans have been speciesist so it's very important that we are conscious of, of that specifically. So, for example, I was playing around with Midjourney, which is an AI that that um provide that creates images, and I asked it to to give me uh, to imagine what cat meat would look like, and it wouldn't do it because it was supposedly against community guidelines. Yeah. Um, and now I'm, I'm very glad that it actually says this because well, I agree, like, you know, I, I think it's very helpful if you don't see cats as, as food. So that's fine. However, if I ask it to imagine the meat from a pig, for example, there's has no problem whatsoever doing that. Uh, and so in that sense, it would be helpful. Like we ideally want to get to a place where it's like, yes, when you ask, like, yeah, can you do like, you know, a cat, like a uh, cat meat or something? It's like, no, sorry, like this is, you know um, but you shouldn't be like wanting images of this or, or whatever. Um, uh, and, but the same thing should apply to like other animals as well, where it's like, yeah, it's like cat, like, you know, pig meat or, or meat from like a cow or whatever. Uh, and it, it says the same thing either way, like it should be consistent one way or the other. Uh, and r- right now, at least this is just one example that I found where it's, uh, it's inconsistent. Uh, and so that's something that we will particularly have to pay attention to moving forward
1: yeah so guys stay tuned for that because uh this ai is getting really wild and i think that this is a whole other podcast episode in itself but as we kind of wrap things up because we are out of time ryuji where can people find you
0: yeah so you can find me at my full name ryuji chua if you type that into instagram youtube any platform you'll probably find it and um yeah that's where all my work is
1: and check out his how conscious can a fish be documentary which is what we were talking about in the beginning of the podcast i am at it's jamie's corner you can check out my website it's jamiescorner.com reach out anytime you guys with questions we are both more than happy to help you in any way shape or form we want to just keep spreading the message and making the world a better place so thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you
0: so much this was great